You like this picture? What's wrong with this picture? The head is missing, yeah. To millions of people, the image of Jesus Christ stands for peace, love, and compassion. So it's a little startling to see a statue of Jesus outside an Indiana church defaced twice in the past two weeks, once on a Sunday even. The Cottage Avenue Pentecostal Fellowship in Indianapolis installed this concrete statue five years ago after it was donated by the daughter of one of its members. But on the statue's first day in its new home, the church saw a glimpse of the vandalism to come. The first time we put it up, they knocked it over, Pastor Brad Flaskamp told CNN. The statue was put back in place and the church thought no more of it for years. Until two weeks ago, when churchgoers discovered their familiar Jesus in an unfamiliar state. Someone had beheaded the statue. Luckily, Jesus' head was left behind and the church was able to reattach it on Saturday. But the next day, vandals struck again. And this time, they took the head with them. It's still headless. We haven't got it fixed yet, fixed yet said the pastor adding that the rest of the statue remained standing outside the church. An investigation has been underway since the first beheading two weeks ago, but with no surveillance footage of the incidents, police are relying on information from the public. Pastor Flaskamp, perhaps mindful of Jesus' teachings on forgiveness, is hoping for a friendlier resolution. If whoever it is would come in and return the head, and ask us to forgive him, we'd forgive him, he said. That's what he's all about. Here's Jesus in a more familiar state. You like this picture? You should. (laughs) It's from 1520 by the Italian painter Raphael. There's a lot to see in this picture. First of all, Jesus is floating. I don't know what's up with that. Jesus doesn't float in the air until his ascension. But then Moses and Elijah are floating as well. Perhaps the artist is trying to emphasize the supernatural appearance of the three figures. Now you can see the disciples right at the feet there. They're overwhelmed by the sight. But look at the action down at the bottom. I know it's kind of dark, but Renaissance painters, they, they tried to cram every point of action in the story into one snapshot, into one painting. You've got on the lower right there, you've got the demoniac child. You've got the crowds, and and the demoniac child is from Mark. You've got the crowds, including the women, and lots of commotion. How about this painting? How about that one? It's got galaxies and stars in it. Let's go back to this one. How about for today? How about for the sermon today? We just look at pictures of Jesus. How's that? Yeah? Because I'll be honest with you, I really don't know what to make of the Transfiguration. I don't know what to make of Transfiguration Sunday, really. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, today closes out the season of Epiphany. Epiphany ends the way it began with a voice from heaven declaring that Jesus is God's Son. And that the Father is well pleased with him and that he is to be listened to. We're also taking a step further toward Lent. So we're sandwiched today between two seasons, 
One where Jesus is doing just fine, amazing people with his signs and wonders, and another where his popularity is going to take a rather dark turn for the worse. Lent is the culmination of Epiphany. But on this day, Jesus just stands there shining radiantly, or as Raphael has him, floating there, shining radiantly. What do we do with that? Be amazed? It's hard to be amazed when you weren't there to see it for yourself. Nevertheless, we came to church to see Jesus. Do we not believe then that we are in the presence of this Jesus who shines like the sun? Can I get some heads saying yes? Yeah, of course we do. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you, you're probably picking this up already. I'm kind of at a loss to unpack this whole experience for you from this reading and surpass any expectation you might have for something new and exciting, if that is the case. I can tell you that Jesus come down, comes down from the hill with us from this mountaintop experience to the ordinary and routine lives that we live, making us holy. That's the usual interpretation of the Transfiguration on Sunday that pastors have used for decades. But I searched, I searched through all of our hymn books, all of our liturgies and worships, worship books going back to 1912, and I can't find anything in our rich treasury of resources for worship to make the transfiguration more dazzling. It's just not there. Yet it's a separate Sunday from the rest. It's a, well, we change the colors of the pyramids and all. But perhaps that's not the point. Perhaps his dazzling, dazzlingness is not the point. Whether we've come here excited or blasé in our faith and expectations, perhaps it's just good to be here. Nothing simpler than that. In this reading, God reveals Jesus to his three disciples. In Sunday worship in the church, God reveals Jesus to us. And if you want your expectations to be challenged, then let me offer you this. We see Jesus with, with two others here today in this reading and in this art. Now think ahead to Good Friday when we'll see Jesus again with two others by his side. But they won't be saints like Moses and Elijah, will they? You know who they are. Malefactors. Wrongdoers. Jesus didn't look much like God either that day when he died on the cross for you and me. All bloodied and beaten up. But today he sure looks like God, doesn't he? all bright and shiny like the sun. The thing about transfiguration is Jesus is also doing His Father's will here. And obedience to His Father is certainly going to be a major theme in His suffering and death. But more than that, we can't help but notice that we, the onlookers of this dazzling spectacle, don't get to hear what's being said between Jesus and the two patriarchs. Wouldn't you like to know what they're saying? I would. Are they talking about us? All the people in the future who would be saved? It would be cool to think that that's what they're talking about. 
But there's got to be a reason that we don't hear, that we don't know. The real significance is not in what they said, but in their presence. You see, I'm thinking Transfiguration Sunday is less about Jesus dazzling us with his appearance and more about assuring us and comforting us with his presence. His being here in our midst. The simplicity of Christmas is still upon us. God came to us to be here with us. That's an important thing to remember, especially in times like today when our self-reliance and natural tendency is to look into ourselves for answers to the things that challenge and trouble us in life. Here's an example. Just within one week, this last week, I'm told once again to be tolerant. Well, tolerant of what? I'm never told. But a young woman in in middle school writes into the Sherwood Gazette an article, well written for her age, but very skillfully written, but tells me to be tolerant. Next day I get a message from one of the local churches wanting us to put up a peace poll on our campus promoting tolerance. Again I ask, tolerance for what? Every day you and I are tolerant every minute. We have to be to get through the day. We're tolerant of people putting us in danger out there when we're driving. Tolerant of the weather. Tolerant of poor customer service. Tolerant of this and that all day long. But this is also true. God is not tolerant of people's bad behavior and what comes from their heart. God does not tolerate sin. God is not safe to be around in that condition. He does not tolerate sin. Why must we? Why must we tolerate sin from others and even ourselves, especially ourselves? We shouldn't. On the one hand, to be in the presence of God is a fearful thing, as shown in Scripture and in this painting. On the other hand, and this is a good thing, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which leads to righteousness. If your dad punishes you without telling you what you've done and why it's not acceptable, then how are you to know what is right and what is wrong? And how to correct yourself? Where's the curb to guide you? Well, you have none. But with God, you do have a curb known as the commandments. Here's the thing, though, about being a believer in Jesus. God the Father doesn't punish you for your sin, see? His Son took the punishment for you. You still have the curb so that you have the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong, but God relents and withholds His punishment on you on account of Jesus. He's the gentle shepherd who lives with you here in His home and also lives with you out there in your home. That is dear fatherly love. Perhaps if more people rested in the presence of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have to have tolerance drummed into our brains on a daily basis. More people would live like Jesus and love and serve each other, caring for one another as God cares for you and me. 
I'll tell you, I may be at a loss for new and exciting things or insight on the transfiguration, but I can say we have a good thing here at St. Paul. And our brothers and sisters in Christ have the same in their churches. We have Jesus with us. He may not be dazzling in splendor to everyone, but there might be some who, because of the word shared with them by you, might come to see him one day as we do here today. So comfort one another with these words. Though we may be troubled by the problems of this world, each one of us shares in the vision of what is to come. So it is good to be here, Lord. Amen.